Today we're going to be tackling um, the end of it, and it's kind of fun for me um, because I've had this message. I've been preparing for like several weeks now. Um, I previously served in a church where I was the weekly speaker, so like you preached every single Sunday, and that's a different kind of experience because, you know, Sunday comes every seven days. Um, Some of y'all don't know that, and so you come here um, every like 21 days or what, so if, if, if that's new to you, uh, we do actually have church every single Sunday, and um, someone like me has to preach every single week. Um, it's not me every single week, um, but this time, um, I've had this message, so when you get, you know, a message like, hey man, I need you to speak in a month, um, that's amazing because you get all this prep work, you get all this time to like research and study, um, but it's also like a burden, you know, because like you get this message like, oh man, I'm ready to go, like let's do it, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got three weeks. And so then, like, a week comes by, and you're like, man, that's good. I can't, oh, that's such revit. Like, man, let's preach this. I'll wait two more weeks. And you're like, dang it. And so today, I feel like I'm going to explode as I'm getting ready to um, deliver this message. But it's funny because I was actually preparing for this message during one of my favorite weeks of the year. Um, If I had to say my favorite week of the year, it would probably be my birthday week. Um, Just so we're clear, my birthday is August the 30th. If you would like to buy me a gift, um, we will celelebrate all week long. There will be fun and festivities. Um, I do accept PayPal, cash, check. however you would like to do that. Uh, So I love my birthday week. My second favorite week, however, is Shark Week. Anybody a fan of Shark Week? Yeah, 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 yeah. Shark Week was a couple of weeks ago. I get jazzed about some Shark Week. I love watching it every single night. There's a new program. It's been going on for a lot of years. Did you have, just fun fact, the Discovery Channel's ratings more than double during Shark Week. Because all y'all folks that don't never watch Discovery Week, tune in to see some people jump in the water um, with 20-foot sharks. And so I love Shark Week. Like, number one on my bucket list, if any of y'all can help me make this happen, I want to get in a shark cage with a great white shark. Like, I want that so deeply and badly, I can't even explain to you. How And, like, it's amazing. This last Shark Week, there was a dude that was in the cage, and he had this camera, and he was doing all this stuff, and he turned, and he hit the latch on the cage and the whole thing opened up but he didn't know it and so like he's down there for like 20 30 seconds and all of a sudden he like looks over and the whole left side of the cage is like wide open it was great um so I don't want that I want the cage closed um but I'm in preparing you know for this message and it's shark week so I'm kind of like I'm reading my bible and I'm watching shark week I'm reading the bible watching shark week and I'm probably watching shark week more than I was reading my bible uh so I, I repent for that um But one thing I learned, like every year you learn something during Shark Week, right? Like that's the purpose of it, awareness and education. And so I learned something this Shark Week that I've always heard people talk about like feeding frenzy. You've ever heard like a feeding frenzy? Anybody? Like sharks going nuts, destroying stuff. And I I always thought that like, you know, a a feeding frenzy was that. You had to be feeding. But actually, did you know that if you just see a group of sharks together hanging out, like just floating around, doing nothing, that's called a frenzy. Like a group of sharks is a frenzy. I didn't know this. And so I had like my fun fact bulb go off, and I was like, wow, what other groupings of animals do I not know what they're called? Because just in case I'm in my shark cage and I see a group of sharks hanging out, now I know, hey, there's a frenzy. And so now I just wonder as I'm driving down the road, and if I see, you know, a group of hedgehogs on the road, what would I call them? And I still don't know the answer to that. However, I do know the answer to several other groupings of animals, right? And so I live in, I live in the country, so I, there's, there's cows, right? Cows are not cool. Um, they taste cool. Um, 
And if you're a vegetarian, totally cool. I support you. I love you. That's more meat for me. And, but everybody knows, right, what a group of cows is called. Y'all know what that's called? It's called a herd, right? Like a group of cows is a herd. Um, another not really that cool animal is like birds. Anybody like birds? I almost got attacked. I did get attacked by a bird this morning. Like I pulled up to a gas pump, and apparently there was a nest like in top of the gas pump somewhere. And I'm like, get out, and it's early, you know, and I'm pumping gas. I'm just kind of sitting there. Next thing I know, there's a bird like dive bombing me. And at first I just thought, okay, that was a case of mistaken identity. And then as I kind of like, okay, bird, you know, no, no, he came back like three, four times. And finally I was like, oh, I'm a threat to you. So I had to get in my car so that I didn't get like pecked by birds and then come up here looking a hot mess for you. Um, but, a, but a group of birds is called a flock. We know this, right? Um, okay, fun fact. Does anybody happen to know what a group of crows, like particular birds, a group of crows is called? One dude's in the back. Somebody said, a group of crows is called a murder. Did y'all know that? Yeah, murder. That, I don't even know why, but they call it a murder. Um, a group of zebra, anybody? A zeal. So if, you, if you're ever hanging out in Africa, I've been there, I've seen it. Group of zebra running through the plains, that's called a zeal. My favorite fun fact that I learned is that a group of rhinoceroses, and that is accurate, I had to look it up. So the plural of rhinoceros is not rhinoceros, it's rhinoceroses. A grouping of rhinoceroses is called a crash. I thought, oh, that's fitting. That works. I can understand that, right? But what was more interesting was, do you know why a group of rhinoceroses is called a crash? You see, rhinoceroses, which is really difficult to say, I'm going to stop saying it, that animal that's very large has an unbelievable sense of smell. They have an unbelievable sense of hearing. What they don't have an unbelievable sense of is sight. Scientists will tell you that a rhinoceros can run at speeds of 30 to 35 miles per hour. And that might not sound that big of a deal to you, but when you leave out of here, get up to about 35 and then look off to the left and just imagine a few tons of animal running beside you. Like we're not talking cheetah here. Like we're talking an animal that's the size of your car running, pounding right beside you. They can run 30 to 35 miles per hour. However, scientists also tell us that a rhino can't see any farther than 30 feet in front of them. So their vision's horrible. So it's fitting if you get a bunch of rhinos together, a group of them is called a crash, right? They can get going really fast, but how many of you know you're not stopping 35 miles an hour within 30 feet? By the time they see you, they missed it. Sorry, crash. And as I sat there and I thought of that, God speaks to me in really, really weird ways. I kind of had this thought, I was like, man, how many times in my life, when you're talking about spiritual warfare, how many times in your life have you experienced a crash, right? Like you knew, you went through the last four weeks of this series that we've talked about. You knew that there's an enemy in me. You were aware of the tactics of the devil. You knew that there was an enemy seeking you out looking for ways to devour you. You had a strategy. You had done all these things. You knew that there was a battle coming, and yet with your best of efforts, you gave it your best, you fought the battle, and you lost. You knew where you needed to get, you went for it, and you came up short. Has anybody ever found themselves in that place? Right? You lost the battle. 
And then the crash happens. See, losing the battle is not the crash. The crash comes in when after you lose, after you fall short, all of a sudden shame starts coming in. You were never, you were never good enough to fight that fight in the first place. Fear comes in. I don't have any business. Like, I can't even get involved in another fight. I can't take that on. I can't win that battle, so I'm just not going to fight at all. Right? You begin to despair. You begin to pull back. Discouragement hits. That's the crash. And do you know why you feel that way? Do you know why you're scared and anxious and nervous and you're, you're not knowing what's happening? Just like the rhino, the crash happens because you lose your vision. You became too short-sighted. As a Christian in this room, when we talk about spiritual warfare and what that looks like for you to fight a battle, what that looks like for you to win a war, there's something that you have to know and you have to believe deep down on the inside of you that as a Christian, you are not fighting for your eternity, but you are fighting for God's glory. And there is a big difference between those two things. Big time difference. Because when you understand that as a believer, that you're not fighting for your eternity, that takes all the pressure off. Like religion tells you, you have to do this, you have to be good enough, you have to do all these things. So there's all this weight that's on you. There's all this pressure. Man, I didn't win. What's it going to cost me? Man, like am I even going to make it into heaven? I'm such a screw up. But as a Christian, you have to know and believe You're not fighting for your eternity. That is sealed in the blood of Jesus. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, you're not fighting for your eternity. You're fighting for God's glory. How many of you have ever heard the statement, you can't win them all? You might like, you can't win them all, right? Most of the time you hear that on the back end of a loss, right? Hey, don't worry, man, you can't win them all. But that's true. It doesn't matter if you're talking about sports. It doesn't matter if you're talking about physical battles. Nobody wins every battle. Nobody wins every game. If you play enough games, if you fight in enough battles, eventually you're going to lose. You're going to fall short. So what does that mean? What happens when that goes down? There's a few things that I want you to know before we kind of dive in. Eventually, we're going to get to the book of Philippians in chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip there. If you don't, it's going to be on the screens. Don't worry. I brought my Bible just in case you didn't, just to make sure that what I say is true. We're going to get to Philippians chapter 4, but there's a few things that I need you to know before we get there, before we get to the practical application side of it. The first thing that I need you to know is that lost battles are a complete fact of life. They're just a fact of life. You can do all the prep work. You can be aware. You can have your strategies. You can do your best to fight. But eventually, you're going to lose. Look at this, John chapter 16, verse 33. This is Jesus himself speaking. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you, what's the word? Will have trouble. Not might, not maybe, not occasionally. You will have trouble. You will face battles. You will lose. But he says this, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, as Christians, we spend way too much time trying to avoid the battle. Like we try to figure out ways to to stay away from it and we pray these prayers like, God, keep me safe. 
God, just give me peace. And God never said that he would keep you safe. He never said that you wouldn't find yourself in difficult and dangerous situations. In fact, in speaking to his disciples, he told them, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He didn't tell you to pray for peace because he said you already have it if you have him. He says, I am peace. That's what he says. Have peace. How do you do that? In me. That's what the verse says. So that in me you may have peace. So lost battles are just a fact of life. And when you speak of spiritual warfare, you have to know that so that you don't lose your vision, so that you don't become so short-sighted when you lose the battle, you think it's all over. Lost battles are a fact of life. The second thing that you have to know is that lost battles happen to everyone. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 says, He, being God, causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Lost battles happen to everyone, guys. But yet as people, we end up finding ourselves in these places at these times where when something happens to us, we find ourselves in a struggle or a situation where we've lost. We fell short. We didn't measure up. All of a sudden, we start saying, asking these questions, right? God, like, what did I do wrong? Like, God, why me? Like, what, what did I do, God? I'm so sorry, God, that I screwed up so bad that I find myself in this situation. And maybe you did screw up and put yourself in this situation. Or maybe life happened because we live in a fallen world and you found yourself on the short end of the stick. You found yourself in a place where you did not receive the victory that you wanted. Lost battles happen to everyone. The key is that lost battles are not a measure of your spirituality. The fact that you lost a battle is not an indicator of how mature or how healthy you are spiritually. You think because you messed up, that means that you're not good with God or that he's somehow mad at you or that he's punishing you. Bad things happen in our world and we automatically say, God, why are you punishing us? Lost battles happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what the word says. Look at every single biblical hero you can imagine. Go through the Old Testament. In physical battles, they all lost at some point. Joshua and the children of Israel lost at Ai. Got it handed to them, actually. David, there's a story where he and his men go off. They go off to prepare. They come home, back to their camp, back to their tent. And what do they find? All the women and children have been taken by the enemy. They come home to an empty camp. Imagine coming home, men, and your entire family is gone. Somebody's taken them. That's the situation that David and his men found themselves in, and David's men get mad to the point that the Bible tells us they were plotting ways to kill David because he's the one that led them away from their women and children to begin with. That's a lost battle any day of the week. Jump to the New Testament. The disciples, the apostles, they lost battles. Nobody lost more battles than Paul. When you look at the life of the apostle Paul, you can understand that he wrote 75% of the New Testament and that he is responsible for us sitting in this church today because he's the man that God used to take the message of the gospel across the world to all the Gentiles. That was his mission. 
You can focus on all the victories that Paul had, but you can't miss the defeats. He tells us about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, Paul speaking, he said this, In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. That's lost battles. We've been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth, God's power working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. Get this. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We're honest, but they call us imposters. We're ignored, even though we're well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We've been beaten, but we've not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. You see, Paul was beaten. He was put in prison. One story tells us that Paul was shipwrecked, swam to shore, built himself a fire to dry off, try to make him some food, and in the midst of trying to come out of the shipwreck, he's bitten by a snake. Poisonous viper. Now, in my book, I might be hanging it up. I don't do snakes. And God, how in the world? What did I do, God? Like, okay, shipwreck. I heard that message Pastor Adam said, lost battles happen to everyone, shipwreck, I got it. Snake? Really? Paul experienced all of these things. Everyone's seen like, or heard the passion of the Christ, right? Like you kind of know what happens. You know the, like the beating that Jesus took, the flogging that he took prior to his crucifixion? The cat of nine tails, and they chain him to the pole, and they put the stripes on his back. Roman tradition tells us that if the flogger is doing his job, scientifically it would take 40 lashes to kill a man. If the flogger, person doing the flogging, didn't use enough force that 40 lashes would kill a man, his punishment in turn was that he would receive the 40 lashes. If he held back, if he didn't give it all he had. So the punishment for anyone that this level under death was that they would receive 40 lashes minus one. So just short of killing you. Like one more and you're dead. That's the beating that Jesus took. 39 lashes. The Bible tells us that Paul, he got that beating five times. On five different occasions, Paul says, I was flogged. I took the beating. Imagine his back. Imagine the scarring. That's lost battles all day long. Paul was stoned, like with rocks, not like... (laughs) Like they threw rocks at him, at his head, on the ground. Paul experienced lost battles. He knew what that was like, probably more than anybody. Like I've, I got some struggles in my life. I've lost some battles, but I've never been stoned with rocks. I've never been shipwrecked or bit by a snake, and I've never been flogged by a Roman soldier. He experienced all these things. 
But he understood, listen, lost battles happen to everyone. He also understood that lost battles, they won't last forever. They won't last forever. And if you don't get that, then you're limiting your vision. And just like the rhinoceros, if you're not focusing on the future, if you can't keep your eyes on the prize, if all you see is what's right in front of you, then all of a sudden, all you see is a shipwreck. All you see is a beating. All you see is a failing marriage. All you see is a bankruptcy. All you see is an addiction. If you can't keep your eyes on the future, the Bible tells us in Hebrews to cast off all the weights and to keep your eyes on Jesus, for he's the prize. Oh, focus on this right now. This is temporary. This is momentary. That's what Paul tells us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Paul, guy that just went through all that, he says, for our light and momentary troubles. Now, ain't none of that light to me. But I guess once you've been flogged five times, a snake bite ain't nothing to you. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know what he's saying as a believer? You're not fighting for your eternity. You're fighting for God's glory. Your eternity's sealed. He can focus on that future and he doesn't have to worry about what's happening to him temporarily. Paul's the guy that said, listen, you want to let me live? I'm going to preach Jesus. And if you want to kill me, sweet, because I'm getting tired of getting beat. He said, to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's what Paul said. Understanding what he went through, now you know why it would be a gain for Paul to have been killed. He's like, listen, I'm tired of this. Y'all want to kill me? Sweet, I'm going to be with Jesus. But if you don't kill me, I'm going to preach Jesus. Because he kept his eyes out. He didn't lose his vision. And he understood that he was here for God's glory. Lost battles happen to everyone. Lost battles do not last forever. And he also understood the difficult one, that lost battles can be good for us. First Peter tells us this, chapter 1, verse 7. He said, these have come, these troubles, these lost battles that you experience, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, whether we like it or not as a people, we learn the most at our lowest. Like anytime as an athlete, when you sit in the film room, you learn more from a defeat than you do a victory. How do I change my strategy? How do I adjust my attack? That did not work. I'm not doing that again. You learn more in your lowest. And God is way more interested in your character than he is your comfort. See, God, we think that we can just sit back and pray, God, like, give me the easy street. God, don't, don't make me go through difficult things, God. I just, I need peace, I need safety, I need security. And the whole time he's saying, in my book, I said they hated me, they're probably going to hate you. They mocked me, they're probably going to mock you. And yet Christians, we try to avoid those battles. And God in his infinite wisdom understands the lost battle, that's the thing that I can use to mold you into the person that I need you to be. So knowing that, knowing that lost battles are a fact of life, that they happen to everyone, they won't last forever, and they can be good for us, what do we do when we lose a battle? Practically, 
You can get up here and say a whole lot of things and make people feel really good, but if you don't tell them what to do with Scripture, you're missing the point. So what do you do, right? How do you maintain your vision? How do you lose a battle and yet win the war? How do you win the war for your marriage, right? When maybe you've got the divorce paper signed and you don't know how to win, you're tired of fighting, and so you're talking about just calling it quits. How do you win? How do you win in your finances? How do you win in that addiction that you've been dealing with? How do you win that battle where you're struggling with your self-esteem and you don't think you're worth anything? This week, how do you win the war when you turn on your television to CNN or Fox News, depending on what wing of the bird you fly on? What do you do when you turn it on and you see that From everything on the outside, it looks like our world is falling apart. Hatred, killings, complete disunity and dishonor and disrespect on every side. What do you, that's a lost battle, but how do we win the war? How do we see victory in that? How do we find hope and peace? Well, we're going to look and see what the Apostle Paul tells us to do. Because if he experienced all that and yet he still had victory, then I think he's the one to give us the game plan for how we move forward. Whether it's as a nation, as a people, or maybe it's you as a family. Maybe it's you as an individual, as a single person. How do I move forward when I've lost a battle and I'm still reeling from the pain and I'm still in agony over it, but I know that I can't be so short-sighted that I lose the fact that there's a war taking place. So this is where we get to Philippians chapter 4. How do we win that war? Paul's telling us in Philippians, another little fun fact. The book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, was a prison letter. So everything that he tells us here, the apostle Paul is writing as his arms and feet are chained in a dungeon. And yet he writes these words, yet again, in the middle of a lost battle, like, How many anybody, raise your hand if you've been in prison. I'm just kidding, don't do that. But if you had been in prison, you know that's a lost battle, right? Like, legally, you lost the battle, you're in prison. It could be good for you, but Paul is there. Wasn't his fault, wasn't his deal, but Paul's in prison. And he writes these letters in Philippians chapter 4. And practically, this is what he tells us. He tells us five things to do. The first thing, I love it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Maybe your translation says, don't be anxious. And you can just stop right there. Like, you don't even have to read the rest of the verse. Like, as a preacher, you can get up and preach Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, just the first four words. Don't worry about anything. Now, let's repent of everybody that's worried this week. And, like, if you were a good believer, right, you would fill the altar. Because we all worry. We all find ourselves in places of anxiety, whether it's because you turned on a TV and saw something happening in a city around your country or because you looked at the balance at the bottom of your checkbook. We find ourselves anxious and worrying, and Paul says, listen, if you want to win the war that is before you, do not worry. Don't be anxious. You can't get caught up in that. The second thing he tells us to do is so important. Pray First, don't just pray. Christians are really good at praying. 
but pray first. It goes on to say, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Pray first. I love, especially in our nation right now, when you see everything that's going down, all of a sudden these hashtags start popping up. You've seen them, right? Hashtag, pray for Dallas. I have no problem with that. Hashtag, pray for Orlando. Hashtag, pray for Paris. Hashtag, pray for Boston. But I find it interesting that the hashtags pop up after tragedy strikes. It's always after. How about as believers? How about as faith church? We just make the decision that we're going to start a hashtag, pray for the shoals, before tragedy hits and the entire nation is having to pray for us because now we've lost a battle. How about we pray first? That's what you do as Christians. How many of you have ever heard a well-intentioned granny tell you in the midst of something that you're going through, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of that lost battle, well, you know, we've done all we can do. Now all we can do is pray. Ever heard that? That is ridiculous. That is horrible theology. That is really, really bad. All we can do is pray. Like prayer is a nuclear weapon in the hands of a believer. Amen. All we can do is pray. Yeah, all, all we can do is pray. That's horrible. No. Everything that you can do is pray. You see, here's where I think the church has missed it. I think way too many Christians, way too many well-intending pastors have taught Christians that they need to have a quiet time rather than having it all the time. Like just, you need to pray. You need to be in relationship with your Heavenly Father. And when something comes in your way, you take it to Him. If you start feeling anxiety come in, you take it to Him. Things are good. Things are great. Man, look, I got the bonus check in the mail. Take it to Him. That's what Paul says. He says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Thank God for all that he's done. Pray first. And by doing that, what you're doing is you're taking that battle. You're taking your life and you're putting it in his hands. And you're saying, you know what? I'm not doing the fighting anymore. I'm going to give this to you, God, and I'm going to let you handle it. That's what he wants you to do. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you give him all of it, you know how much that leaves you? None of it. Give him all of it. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 47 says, And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. He will give you your enemies. He will give you the victory that you want. But way too many Christians kind of try to go into this thing and they want to fight their own battle. This is not a partnership, if you're a Christian, between you and God. The battle cannot be God's and be yours at the same time. It can't. If you want to fight your own battle, God will let you. But the entire time he's saying, would you just give it to me? Would would Stop worrying about it. Would you just, just give it to me? Just let me have it. 
Because all the while, God understands you're not fighting for your eternity. Because he already won that for you. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. You've got that. You've got the victory. Now you're fighting for his glory. And if you'll just give him that battle that you're facing, here's what I promise you. He will not let his glory go tainted. He won't let his glory fall short. When you give it to him, that's how you receive victory. But you've got to pray first. You don't do all that you can do and try to fix it and try to manipulate it. You've got to give it to him. Let him be the one that fights for you. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 12 says, You will not leave in a hurry running for your lives. This is when you lose a battle, when the enemy attacks. You will not leave in a hurry running for your lives, for the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. I love how Isaiah says that statement like that thing he just said is somehow inclusive. Like the Lord going before you is somehow the same as the Lord protecting you from behind. Like he didn't say the Lord will go before you and God will protect you from behind. It was all the same thing. Because Isaiah knew if you give the battle to him, you're not doing the fighting. You're being escorted through the battlefield. And you're just going and doing what God tells you to do. And he's the one taking the hits. He's the one doing the fighting. But you've got to pray first. The second thing, third thing, is you have to check your attitude. When you lose a battle, and this is kind of where we find ourselves, right? You've lost. It went south. And now, man, check your attitude. Philippians 4.8, Paul speaking. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Like he's told them all that. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, don't let me forget to tell you this. This is the last thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Like when you lose, what dominates your thought process? What do you affix yourself to? Paul says if you want to win this war, it better be the things that are good and excellent and praiseworthy and admirable and true. That's how you win victory. The fourth thing, he says be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Verses 11 through 12 of chapter 4, he says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. You know what Paul's saying? When you lose that battle, when you fall short and don't get the victory that you wanted, things didn't turn out the way you thought they would, praise God. Be thankful for what you do have. Be content. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that, man, like you... Pretend that nothing bad happened. No, but you can be thankful. This chapter that we're looking at, Philippians chapter 4, you know how it starts out? Verse 1, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Like just in case you missed it the first time when I told you to rejoice, oh yeah, rejoice. In the good times, the bad times, the I don't know times, the this doesn't make sense times. Rejoice in the Lord always. Trust Him. And the last and final thing, number five, and this is so key. If you want to experience victory, you have to hold on to God with everything that you have, with everything that you are. Paul said he knew the secret. 
He tells us in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. And this is the verse that athletes like to put on their, their eye black, you know, and people make bumper stickers and they crochet it and hang it on their wall. 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And that's true, 100%. But you can't miss all that on the front end. That Paul said that in the midst of a lost battle. He wrote those words chained to a prison wall. And he's telling you when things don't go the way you want them to, you you got to trust God. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. Don't let the media put fear on the inside of you because God said, give it to me. I've got this. Pray first. Take it to him. Say, God, I'm giving you this. I trust you with this. Watch your attitude. How are you dealing with other people? How are you processing things? Don't focus on the negative. Don't focus on everything that the world's going to try to tell you you need to focus on. Focus on the good and the pure. It's not as bad as you think it is. It's not as bad as the enemy wants you to believe. Check your attitude. Be content with what you have and thank God for where you are. Because everything that you have is passed through his hand. He didn't cause it, but he can use it for your good. And then you got to hold on to God with everything that you have, with everything that you are. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. Some of y'all didn't even know Nahum was a book in the Bible, did you? Nahum chapter 1, verse 7 in the message says that God is good, a hiding place in tough times. He recognizes and welcomes anyone looking for help, no matter how desperate the trouble. He's good. He welcomes people who have lost battles in difficult times, in struggles. Those things that are a fact of life that happen to everyone. The entire time, God is there and he's saying, listen, just just come to me. I will give you peace. I will be your place of rest. The political pundits and everybody all over the TV wants to ask these questions. How do we fix this? How do we deal with this? Maybe for you, you're not so much concerned about what's happening in Dallas because your marriage is falling apart. Your kids have left. You don't know where they're at. You don't know why they're doing the things that they're doing. You're trying to kick that addiction that keeps kicking you while you're down. You can't make your life work. Do you want to know how you win that struggle? Do you want to know how you can lose a battle and win the war? The answer is the key that Paul told us about. The answer to racism, there's only one. His name's Jesus. That's it. Do you want to know the answer to hatred? It's Jesus. Disunity in our country, in your home, in a church, it's Jesus. The answer to your pride is Jesus, your greed, it's Jesus. That lust that you can't seem to kick, that you keep losing that battle day in and day out. You know want to know what the answer is? The way you can lose a battle and win a war, it's Jesus. Cast off all that weight, all those sins and all those things that so easily entangle you and keep your eyes on the prize that lays before you. Because you see, it's Jesus. He's the one that goes before you. He's the one that protects you from the back. 
As a believer, you're not fighting for your eternity. That's done. You're fighting for God's glory. And if you'll just give it to Him, I promise you, you'll win. Yes, you'll lose battles. Yes, you'll fall short. But in the end, when you read the last part of the book, you win. Every single time. It doesn't matter. I win. Every single time. Every single time. But we get so caught up in our world and everything going on around us that we allow the enemy to use fear and anxiety to come in. And what's the first thing that happens? We begin to worry. We get anxious. God, I don't know how this is going to work out. And it cripples you. Paul said, don't do that. Trust God. Give it to him because he's already given you the victory that you want. You win. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's a group of people that are here. And as I've went through this message and I've shared this stuff, it is totally true. As a Christian, you are not fighting for your eternity. It's sealed in Jesus. You're fighting for His glory. However, if you are here and you would say that you're not a Christian, you've never crossed that line, you've never put your faith in Him, you've never allowed Him to be the leader and Lord of your life, if you find yourself in that place, then I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is that you are fighting for your eternity because there's an enemy that wants to put doubt and fear, pride into you right now so that you won't respond to the good news that Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your victory. And if you will just give it to him, all those problems that you can't seem to figure out, all those battles that you keep losing, those struggles that you can't seem to conquer, if you'll give them to him, you'll win. But if you don't, you don't stand a chance. And you'll keep experiencing the loss that you're experiencing right now over and over and over again. It doesn't get better. You're never good enough. You're never smart enough. You're never strong enough. You'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough influence. You'll never have enough friends. It's all Jesus. So if that's you and you're in this room right now and you say, man, like I, through something that God has done in this time, whether it be through worship or the word, I understand that I've been fighting this battle all on my own. I've never given it to God in the first place. And that the Holy Spirit has used this service to open up your eyes for you to understand that he's the one that has to fight for you. And you want to give this battle to him today. Here in a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Nobody's looking around. I don't want you to come forward. I don't want you to stand up. I just want to pray for you and celebrate with you. So if you're in the room right now and you want to say that, I'm giving it to God. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I want Jesus to truly, not just something I say, yeah, he's God, he's, but you really want him to be your savior? Then I want you to raise your hand right now, wherever you're at in this room. Don't be shy. This is the battle that you're fighting right now, and it's the battle with you. Hands all over. 
God, I thank you for the courage that took every single hand in this house right now to go up into the air, Father. And I thank you for the victory that's going to take place in their lives, God. Not because they're good enough, not because they can win a war, Father, but because you already have. So if you raised your hand, pray this right now. Say, God, I give you my fight. I give you my life. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of trying to receive the victory that I know I can't do. I know I'm not good enough, God, but I know that today you are good enough and I give it all to you. And if you prayed that, here's what you got to do. You raise the hands, you prayed the prayer. That's the first step, but now you got to walk it out. Every single day, you have to choose to wake up and let him be the battle. Let him fight for you. Trust him, put your faith in him. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. The other group that's in here right now is a group of Christians that maybe you've been saved for decades, but yet you still find yourself on the losing end of battles and it's tearing you up on the inside because you've lost your vision. It's crashing around you everywhere and it's taking your joy, it's taking your peace. You're not living a life of victory because the enemy has blinded you to everything that's going on around you. And I'm going to pray for you. And I truly believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, He is going to reconcile people to Himself. He is going to restore you and renew you through His power and His Spirit today. God, we come to you in a broken time in our nation, God. We come to you in a difficult time, Father, as believers to truly be able to stand for you, God. And we say right now, Lord, that you must be the the warrior in our lives, God. You must do the fighting. God, we want to take our hands off of our lives and we want to give it to you, that you would be our peace and you would be our victory, that we can trust you, that you're a good God. God, I pray that you would give us the faith not to try to do it on our own anymore. The understanding and the wisdom that we'll never be good enough or strong enough or smart enough, God, and that you never asked us to be in the first place. God, give us the wisdom to know that if we want to know the secret to losing a battle and yet winning a war, it's all in surrender. It's all about giving ourselves to you day in and day out. It's not a one-time prayer, God, but it's a lifestyle that we live as your people. We love you, God. We give you ourselves today, Father, and we thank you and we rejoice that we do have victory in your name, Jesus.